Welcome, everyone, to What the Force, and welcome to our show to cover the Andor series, which my good friend Alex Kane, who is joining me, named Andor Declassified. Normally, you come up with the good names. Oh, I don't know about good ones, but uh, <laughs> yeah, it's, it just felt right. I think I did a Twitter search and nobody had, had tweeted that phrase yet. So I was like, okay, I think oh, it's fair game. I like uh, it. It's good. So we are going to be talking about the first three episodes of Andor on this episode, and uh, we'll be doing an episode every time they release an episode. I think it'll be pretty fun. So you'll get more of us. <laughs> this show, starting out, was wow. Uh, I, I totally agree with the need to release the first three episodes together, kind of like a mini movie to start off the season. Yeah. It definitely needed the space to establish itself because one thing about this and I'm going to say it's a new world in a way the world of Andor is that it expands Star Wars and also makes it feel incredibly lived in yes 100% agree it just kind of throws you in it's of that very grimy like solo texture and uh you know, it's sort of incidental that it's the Star Wars universe in some ways. Like for a while, you're just kind of like, this could be uh, anywhere, you know? Yeah. And it just works because it's it's very character driven. There's a lot of, you know, motivational drama with like characters wanting things and needing things. And, you know, there's a MacGuffin, but there's a lot more than that. The, these characters feel very fleshed out and human and believable. Yeah. It's It's really fun. And everything is driven by human desires, you know, and it, it feels yeah. very real, like people live here, you know, and, and what I absolutely loved about the establishing episode and the follow up three is that it was very, very clear with its themes but it didn't tell you them directly. Nobody said these things out loud, but yeah. it was very, very clear with how the characters interacted and what they were saying, even though we haven't even mentioned the word of rebellion or, <laughs> you know, that, you know, maybe some people want to live differently. Yeah. There's a lot of trust in the audience in this one. And yeah. that is like really... Uh, refreshing and just yeah, nice to see in Star Wars something that's like not not necessarily more adult, but a little more a more mature audience in mind. And it's kind of like if we put like BBY five at the beginning of the episode, you know, maybe not everyone knows what that means, but like they sort of trust that you do, or that if you don't, you can Google it. You yeah, you'll be like, well, that's kind of cool. I wonder what that means, and it it, it doesn't just sort of. Uh, yeah, just kind of announce every little thing. It's just kind of like you I know. did appreciate that they named all the planets when they went there the first time. Yeah, that was very Rogue One of them, which yep. follows the theme of what they're doing, which is to entirely lead into the opening moments of Rogue One. Yeah, right. Where yeah. did he? Where you know? How did he get to that moment? And you had some thoughts on that before we kind of get into. Maybe the style of the show and like what we're. Seeing. Are you talking about the uh, the the prequel stuff in terms of? Yeah, yeah, like yeah. like we're we're here to see Cassian become mm -hmm. who he becomes in Rogue One. 
and sure. you get like all of this backstory about him, but mm-hmm. it really leans into the why we're telling this story. Yeah. Uh, like uh, there's a, a common sentiment it's not unique to this show you know it's it kind of anytime there's like a prequel or something that people are like well we kind of know where this ends up so why should i care and like mm-hmm. you know your your subjective response to work of art is always going to be individual to you uh and unique <laughs> you know and valid because it's your experience but this got me thinking about one of my favorite fictional characters in the one of the the final episodes of uh, my favorite TV show pretty recently and I didn't hate it you know and I think it's interesting interesting when that happens where some you know really careful thoughtful skilled storytellers who who love their characters kill him mm-hmm. um and i think it's it's uh it's comes down to for me like you know i think about cassie and andor and and Jin or so and i'm like you know they they had a pretty good death in rogue one like mm-hmm. you know it served this really heroic function where it wasn't just i'm gonna do my one good deed to redeem myself from from my past and then die because I deserved to die or something like that. It was, you know, this very heroic, selfless thing that had a butterfly effect across the galaxy mm-hmm. and, and led to better things. And I, I think when when a character death is handled well. There's an appreciation for how the <laughs> character was handled and that, you know, yeah. there is sort of a feeling of understanding of the sacrifice in that movie. Uh, which yeah. is really important. I know there's been a lot of interviews where they've talked about like how gritty or where he's at and how, you know, he's not quite who he is yet in Rogue One, yeah. right? And how he kind of transforms and learns. And what I find super fascinating is it's almost thematically on point with what Kenobi was missing mm-hmm. as he is stuck where he is stuck in his journey, which is fascinating yeah it's interesting i i felt that this show does a lot with the you know it's not like there was a ton of characterization in rogue one because it you know it's sort of a very Mm -hmm. fast-paced thing that has to you know sort of connect certain dots but like they took what is there of cassian and already in these three episodes we see so much of that unpacked and Mm -hmm. you know i think i was really shocked the first time i watched rogue one and that guy's like you know oh i'm injured i can't climb over the wall the stormtroopers are gonna get me and he sort of ruthlessly kills him because and it's like here we see not quite that version of cassian nor the sort of heroic selfless Cassian at the end of Rogue One, we get sort of, uh, you know, the first step in that evolution from like sort of hardened James Bond killer who would just yeah. like off the guy who's going to like rat him out to the Empire. Here he's he's a little bit messier and kind of clumsy, but good natured. And I, I just really like the complexity of the character right out of the gate. Yeah. And also that it's very clear the things that he wants yeah at least or what he thinks he wants right and it's it also shows him to be a a very competent individual from the get-go which Mm -hmm. is awesome too yeah yeah tony gilroy he wrote the born the born trilogy 
mm-hmm. Born Identity and Supremacy and Ultimatum. And I watched the first one the other night. And there's so much of the beginning of that movie in this introduction where he's like, yeah, he's this hyper competent, <laughs> you know, sort of like uh, this guy who's like basically really dangerous. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he, it's like, you know, that trope of I don't he's want broken. to. Yeah. yeah. I don't want to hurt anybody. I just, Broken you know. And, yeah, kind too. But, yeah. uh, you know, it's like by by crossing paths with him, you may die just by, yeah. you know, by messing with him. And, it, and it's not like he wants that consciously, but yeah, it's uh, a fun, fun trope that they played with. I thought it was really, really interesting when I was doing research on this before the show aired that uh, we have a, a really solid mix of sort of American writers mixed with British television directors. And these directors come from things like Doctor Who and Sherlock and other BBC programming that is automatically longer format. You know, Mm. we think about like Sherlock episodes and sometimes they're like two hours and, you know, things like that, right? And seeing that we got... Toby Haynes, who directed the first three episodes, it's kind of like like a mini arc in some ways. And I wonder yeah. if it's going to follow more of that style where like a director has a chunk of an arc. Because this yeah. is definitely an arc that we experienced with these three episodes. They work best together. Yeah, I agree. And I've avoided spoilers for like, I know that people have seen the fourth one, but I don't, I think it's embargoed or something. But mm-hmm. uh, yeah, it's it's fun to think about like, okay, so what, where are they going to go with that? But uh, yeah, this did feel pretty complete. You know, it felt, uh, you know, he was, he's off on his adventure. He's sort of uh, yeah. running off with his Obi-Wan Kenobi figure. And, oh my God. Yeah, uh, I was going to get so into many, that. But yeah, yeah, we've got a lot of ground to cover but yeah there's a lot of a lot of fun star wars in this you know yeah it works its way into that like right off the top i really am obsessed with the anti-capitalist and anti-imperialist themes that we get right off the top and with that that there's a police abolition you know theme that's simmering in the background as well as the police support capitalism and imperialism. And it's fascinating. (laughs) Yeah, this is not a watered down, very fine people on both sides kind of show. No. It has a viewpoint and it made a decision to make the the villains of these three episodes basically like Blue Lives Matter dipshits, basically. And also... hyper-capitalist, right? Yeah, because right. these planets are like Priox Morlana, which we've only really seen in novels, I think, the the corporation-run planets. Yeah, it's very similar to like the Zerka Corporation yeah. from like the- uh, Master and the Apprentice. Master and Apprentice, mm-hmm. yeah. And, yeah. Um, yeah, that idea of like the corporations being like serving as a government, which is yeah. a very cyberpunk thing. And It is. There's a lot of cyberpunk in, in the-, in the like vibes of the show. Yeah. Yeah, They call Uh, them corpos constantly. Corpos. Yeah. And then they call the planets that are under them, but are run sort of informally affiliates, which is like super corporate too. Yes. I caught that affiliate. That's good. Yeah, And what I love about this is that it's a sort of 
large theme of how capitalism and imperialism through the empire are hand in hand and and best friends with each other and how with the exception of TLJ and Canto Bite we've never really explored. Yeah, certainly not in like the big like tentpole Star Wars like stuff on huh? on a show. Yeah. Like the last time we talked about this was TLJ. And it is going to be hard for some typically angry fans on the internet. They're already struggling with, like, you know, just the fact that people of color exist in this show, including the (laughs) guy who the show is named after. But this is going to be a very, very on-the-nose story. The cops, the essentially security guards for the corporation are you know shown to be corrupt and -hmm. some of them aren't sure but they're helping the bad guys and it's like a microcosm of what we're gonna get with the empire yeah yeah it's like this interesting decision to like characterize them like your typical star wars villains but instead it is yeah just capitalists who you know lay down their lives for for money <laughs> these corporate jobs yeah yeah um, yeah and it's and very the, fun. the uniforms themselves mimic the empire's uniforms even the hats like they look very imperial in design but they come with this uh, uneasy psychological color palette of teal and orange which if it's used in a movie a teal and orange filter makes you feel anxious Oh, interesting. Okay. And these guys are not fully competent, you know? Like Yeah, most of them aren't, yeah. Yeah, like we get a we get a mix of corrupt security cops and we get a mix of the guy who seems like he's trying to do the right thing but like is also extremely underprepared to do anything and doesn't know what he's doing. He thinks he's doing the right thing. <laughs> Right, right. Yeah, because his his superiors are just like, we're going to ignore this because we want to, you know, have a good like PR look. And then he's like, but they were murdered, you know, as if. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. As if they weren't actually corrupt, which the Mm -hmm. chief of security, chief inspector pointed out. Yeah. And then it also is interestingly, and, you know, I was going to go in this later, but I think it's good because it ties into the the themes that are th- present throughout. It's specifically po- poking at, I think, the UK police force. Some of the, like, the one security guy that joins him on the mission. Oh, yeah, the Scottish fellow who's, like, the second in command. Yeah, he literally yeah. is uh, Linus Mosk. He's literally, like, a caricature of a police officer, like a Bobby. I definitely kept getting the sense that this story could take place in 2022 or it could take place in like Victorian times, like simultaneously. It's showing us how- Universal? Yeah, universal and timeless, but also like how we've kind of reverted to like, (laughs) you know, that horrible like industrialization period, you know, with uh, Cassian's backstory and also- and thank you for bringing up the industrialization because we get another instance of our glorious mine symbolism. <laughs> yes, right? Yes. 
right? We get our our amazing mind symbolism, which you're very familiar with because I bring it up every single time we see it. Yeah. (laughs) You know, we, we have the... We have the wonderful line from Solo, right? Which is like mining colonies are the worst. Yeah, well, the worst is where the money is. And, you know, the symbolism is consistently the dark side and consumption and Mm -hmm. and how these things are interconnected and tied to the empire is that the empire needs to be burning up the universe basically to continue to control it. That's its only option to to basically exist. Yeah. And yeah, we'll get into like the specifics of how it plays out when we get to that episode, but yeah, also Ferrix is also, you know, got some interesting things thematically with what's going on with it. The corporation planet is also really interesting. I just, I love the world already. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of texture here, like the practical sets and the, mm-hmm. like the complexity of them, kind of the, you, you can kind of see the budget on the screen. It really pays off with like when they're at somebody's apartment or whatever, like it, it all just looks so, yeah, like lived in, like you said, very kind of like Bilbo's house and Lord of the Rings or something like this is kind of a world that we buy, you know, we see it, it rings true. Yeah, exactly. They did a lot of work to fill in and make it seem like every background character had a life, had a full life that it existed for it. Yeah, there's there's like no character who feels like, oh, that's just some random, like, like every character felt equally fleshed out and- I mean, you've got the the uh, the bell tower guy with the hammers, yeah. like you know, it, you know that's the perfect example of how just every performance in this is just like giving its all, and uh, yeah, every character is so just colorful, I guess. Yeah, exactly. All right, any other big themes that you noticed in this? Yeah, I mean, well, like the mining and and the flashbacks going hand in hand, mm. and then we sort of see like parallels in the present of that and there's something going on with ferrix itself like there's there's something really interesting symbolically happening sure yeah, yeah i mean the, the the talk of the reckoning and the tolling of the bell again that felt very like victorian to me yeah like, it, there's something timeless and 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 unique with that a bell to me is you know connotes like a, a church you know um, yeah, almost, almost like they're gonna do the hope thing without constantly like bludgeoning us with the the word hope and just kind of doing it, you know. And and I think that would be kind of cool to see, like, you know, how we we lead into Rogue One that way, you know, kind of just like show all these different illustrations of of how that works in sort of a nitty gritty capitalist world that you know is yeah. oppressed in a believable way. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, pulling thematically from Victorian culture and like how people lived or what happened gives us a very realistic base to kind of tell uh, stories of oppressed people, yeah. you know? And, and again, imperialism and capitalism are going to go hand in hand. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So let's dig into the story itself. Sure. 
we start out in this uh in this like rainy city, which again felt very cyberpunk that like just the lights and the, you know, the bubbles that he passes with people in them and different aspects like that, which is also something we haven't really felt in Star Wars before. A little bit, maybe in Coruscant and the underworld there, Mm -hmm. but it felt like a new take on it, which was fun too. Yeah. Yeah. Those little bubbles, like, I don't know if they were supposed to be like VR booths or something, but it felt fresh. And even just like the lights of the the docks or whatever that he was walking down, it mm-hmm. just felt very uh The passing of the distinctive. lights. Mm, yeah. That, that was, was really cool. a cool effect. And then seeing like the long path towards the city. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It also felt a lot like Baraka, um, which we've seen before in in Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order. It's the city yeah. you start out with. Uh, but the cities kind of are all it feels like the cities are getting this like cyberpunk treatment in Star Wars, which I'm not against because sure. technol yeah. it's gonna lean into that, right? But we haven't seen a lot of cities in Mandalorian and we only saw our first one in Boba Fett. And so it's nice to see television versions of cities in Star Wars. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So we get this rain stuff happening. And of course, that means that our main character is there's something wrong. He's emotionally sad. Yeah. And Mm -hmm. we instantly get the answer to that in that he is seeking his sister. Yeah. So he's missing. He goes into a club. Yeah. He he seeks out women to start Mm -hmm. right because he goes into this club which is a brothel and they actually use that word later later which i was like what yeah (laughs) there's like sexuality in this star wars it's kind of interesting (laughs) it's uh yeah oh my (laughs) (laughs) where are we what there's like company and people putting on pants like what's going on i am so happy that we are actually getting this in star wars this can exist in star wars alex yeah, it's uh, it's cool. It feels you know whole and like authentic, you know, to the mm-hmm. like the like the characters feel like human beings instead of uh, you know, just kind of like well, we have to keep it clean, you know. Yeah, <laughs> it, you know, yeah, it feels yeah. like you know it could be just a sci-fi show, but it it happens to be that thing we already love, um, you know, which is kind of a cool order of operations, I guess. Like you know. If it wasn't Star Wars, I would still love it, you know? Yeah, I mean, we're not going to get Force users in this. So what is the galaxy really without access to Force users? And this is the period of time where we're just not going to see them very often. Yeah. Right? Right, yeah. So yeah, he goes into the brothel, which is quite from a psychological perspective literally where you go when you're you don't have a connection with your inner feminine and you're looking for somebody to make you feel connected to your inner emotions and he seeks his missing feminine which is his sister which is wild what are you doing tony gilroy yeah (laughs) so yeah this is where i said this is calling back to what kenobi is missing and he didn't know he was missing right he he -hmm. finds leia in the kenobi show and we see that cassian is also seeking something like that but he knows what's missing Mm -hmm. and he runs awry these uh mall cops not really getting the answers that he needed right uh yeah 
the the dirty security guards basically who want to shake him down and he kills them this i mean this feels full circle from a rogue one perspective i think yep he finds out that someone from his home world was was there working Mm -hmm. but uh yeah the the woman who comes over to talk to him says like you know they don't use their real names so mm-hmm. he doesn't have much to go on but he he gets that little tidbit that you know she could have been there and then we get the introduction to Ferrix, which is uh, sort of what did you think of where cassian ended up knowing knowing the context of where he is what did you think of where he was when uh we get introduced to like b and the planet. Yeah, I mean, we don't see his his mother, his adoptive mother, for a while, right? Yeah. It's, do you know? But do you know where he of, is? Do you Do you know where um, he is? The first time we see him, he's what on the ship with the droid. Is that what yeah, you mean? This this ship, this specific ship, is in a junk pile, so it's buried. Yeah. And it's the ship that takes him away from Canari. Oh, it's the Later. same one. It's the uh, same that she ship brought him in on. That she okay. brought him in. So he's he's literally like incubating in a womb. Fascinating. Yeah, they 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 sort of flash back and forth, and it's like it looks different. But I was like, I'm pretty it's sure just, it's the same. It's but, just like um, worn down, right? spiffed up earlier. Yeah, right, right. Yeah. yeah, but that's where he goes back to when he wants to like be alone. Right, right. This is like a guy who's looking for like that that link to where he comes from because yeah. I think he has a lot of guilt <laughs> that we can talk about yeah. later. Uh, but yeah, there's yeah he sort of like was sort of whisked away uh, from his past, and he's you know, of course, like Star Wars is like this metaphor for adolescence traditionally, right? With like Luke or Kylo yeah. or Rey. And so you can look at it like that too, that he's somebody who is headed very rapidly for like sort of adulthood maturity and stuff, but his childhood was sort of stolen from him. Yeah. For his safety, but yeah. Just a brief aside before I get into like what's going on with Cassian, it's it's awesome. But B is like my favorite thing in existence. I love such his, a great droid. Yeah, his li- like I love him. I love how he moves. I love how much character they're able to get with the animatronics and the puppetry. Yeah, and I love his little stutter. It it makes yes. him instantly endearing and relatable. And he yeah. cares for Cassian, and he cares for Marva, and he just he feels like every good droid, which is part of the family. And they talk about how lies work for droids, which I'm obsessed with, that it takes more energy to create a lie in a droid's head. And I'm dead. This is like, I'm obsessed. This this literally like made me so happy. I was like, you're adding to droids? You're You're making new things that I never knew about droids? Maybe yeah. I've talked about droids too long, but I'm obsessed <laughs> with this droid. He's great. <laughs> he is great. And he we we learned that Cassian's name as a child, his his real given name is Cassa, right? With yep. a K. And uh and the droid calls him Cassa when he wants to really like get his attention, which is adorable. Yeah. You know, like they have you have the sense of history that they grew up together, quote unquote, and uh I thought that was beautiful. And of course, there's like a lot going on in these three episodes with with the idea of lying and like 
covering your tracks and robbing Peter to pay Paul, as they say. You know, like Cassian yeah. is a Cassian is a guy uh, who's the scaffolding of his life is kind of rickety. Uh, you know, yeah. he's he's kind of uh, jumping out of the plane and building the parachute on the way down day after day in his search for whatever his sister symbolizes to him. And mm -hmm. it's funny. He is kind of, he is a mess, but you know, he's got that, the mother that he can go home to and mm -hmm. you know, he's got these friends. And we get this like transition into his like inner psyche through this dream of the past. Right. So they're doing a flashback, but in, yeah. in some ways we get the impression that this is like inside of Cassian's head. Yeah. Right. And like what he's going through, like he's gone into this ship that took him away from his home. So it's like as close as he can be to his home planet and mm -hmm. that space. And we look around and it's like a small village of teenagers. Yes. Like so if cool. you think about it for any amount of time, you're like, there are no adults here. Yeah. What happened to them? And then yep. you see the mining operation. And, you know, there's, like, fighting going on and the, the crashed Confederate, like, separatist ship and, like, just all this chaos. And you're, like, it has that feel of, like, the uh, the Lost Boys from Peter Pan or something. Like, yeah. I, I don't know. I was know. thinking, like, Lord of the Flies a little bit. There's episodes sure. of, like, Star yeah. Trek where they run into a ship and all of the kids, like, the entire ship is, like, kids. Like, it's a yeah. very classic sci-fi trope to be like yeah there are only teenagers yeah this is a community made up of people who have yet to become adults i.e the entire i mean previous story of star wars which is how to become an adult none yeah. of these kids have become adults I mean, I think the eldest one looked maybe 15 16 right and casa himself looks solidly preteen. Yeah, and I, and of course I went back to that Rogue One quote about when I was 6 years old and I was like he looks older than 6, but I mean maybe that's maybe he's supposed to be 6, I don't know, but uh, yeah, you know, he looks very young. Yeah. His uh sister looks 6. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he looks he looks more like 10, 10. or 11 or yeah. something, but yeah. And we get this just like really fascinating view like it looks like they're all wearing clothes that are too big for them that have been cut down or like mm. you know strapped on you know it definitely gets the vibe of like all the adults are dead this is our culture they're all very like earthly colors like green and mm -hmm. orange yeah and brown like and burnt sienna yellow yeah yeah yeah, yeah. really cool stuff yeah <laughs> and you know it's it's using the golden rule of show don't tell Mm -hmm. There's so many questions you have about this right off the bat. And, yeah. and you're like, well, they do answer them, but they don't answer them fully. And it's really, yeah. I think, quite an exceptional challenge for some traditional Star Wars audiences. Yeah, it's it's very much something that's playing the long game, like a sort of Game of Thrones or... You know, yeah. or some of the just the more mundane, like prestige dramas, like Better Call Saul. Like, it, yeah, they're 
you know, it's three episodes, it's two hours. It feels like a lot, but you don't get all the answers. And I'm like, you know, am I imagining this? Is, you know, um, there, there's like so many like fun little questions that I have just like in every scene almost. You're like, hmm, I wonder if. And of course, we have a, lot, a long ways to go. Yeah. What, like 21 more episodes over the course of two seasons? <laughs> yeah. But yeah, it's uh, it's a really fun start. It is. Yeah. And then we get kind of more of an introduction to the people of the planet. We get the shot of the gloves and Brasso. It, we can also tell it's not written by John Favreau because we hear everybody's names at least twice. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> There's a lot of proper nouns in this show. It's which wonderful. Is fun. People call yes. each other by names. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> they use those names multiple times so you remember them. <laughs> Any any thoughts on the on the planet, the gloves, the wall of gloves? Well, I loved the gloves image. That just to me screams like, oh, this is a a show with like a class consciousness and that cares about like working class sort of like average mm-hmm. Joe characters, which is beautiful and and you know, um you don't always get that in Star Wars. Uh, you know, even even the best of Star Wars sometimes it's like well, you have like that little boy from Tatooine, and then you have the monks and the aristocrats and the the queen, and you know, yeah. And then you have like, well, whatever. But um, uh, yeah, I, I really like that. It's just kind of like you know that notion of uh, a hard and, day's worth work is respected in some ways. Yeah, yeah, and and, and like, yeah. I mean, we got a little of that with Obi Wan at the the uh, the whale um, fish market thing, or you know. Yes. Sand manta ray. Yeah, that was cool. But yeah, I like this idea too that heroes are everyday people who do kind, invisible acts that aren't, you know, you don't always steal the plans to the Death Star and sacrifice your life to stop the empire and and make everything better in an instant. Mm -hmm. You know, that that's not every day sometimes. There's a lot in this uh, series that resonates with, like, history, with, uh, mm-hmm. frankly, like, Nazi-occupied Germany or things, things you know, in the newspapers today. And it's, like, mm-hmm. it's really beautiful how kind of tastefully it's all done. There's a feeling in the show by just how they're presenting the city as a community and that there's a communal understanding that they look out for each other that comes through in the symbolism of the gloves oh can you grab my gloves for me Mm -hmm. you know the bell ringing that happens later on in these three episodes there's there's a sense that people actually care and that it's 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 so self a city of generally people who are just trying to get by but also understand the social contract that they have with each other. The idea that, you know, what we owe to each other. (laughs) Yeah. You know? There are two characters or two little scenes, you know, that really stick out to me in these three episodes. And like, one is the friend that he owes money to who is like trying to like basically stand up Mm -hmm. for himself and say, hey, it's time to pay me up, you know, pay up what you owe. Uh, you know, I'm not just going to like let you do this. And then uh, the character of Tim is also an interesting one because, mm-hmm. yeah, you you have these moral gradations in this show. Yeah. 
that feel very fascinating where he's like sort of a jealous boyfriend figure. He's doing a little stalking. He's a snitch who does something yeah. very bad. <laughs> yeah. But, but then when he dies, we feel bad. Uh, you know, it's a show that is not stormtroopers versus Jedi, you know? Yeah. That's what it comes back to is like, you know, it is not Indiana Jones punching a Nazi officer. It is it is very gray in a, a beautiful, colorful way. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Uh, it's weird. It's got, a, it's got a lot of vibes of, I think the show was Hello, Hello, which is like Nazi occupied France and this like tavern that was operated oh. and ends up getting involved in the resistance uh with like the nazi occupied france and like just the the inn owner who's just like trying to get away and have affairs on his wife like it's just like you know like what do you how, how do you live normally under an occupied or an imperialistic culture you know yeah. It's really, really, really interesting how they're playing everything out to be like, well, this is how we exist in yeah. this, right? And it feels very real. So, mwah, great yes. stuff. Conversely, we get like more of a solid introduction to kind of the bureaucracy of this capitalistic planet. You know, the like this is a this is also a very cyberpunk concept that like corporations or governments. Yeah. And the chief inspector, which is also like a very British thing to to pull into, which is really yeah. interesting. And he's so the guy with like the up. giant Civil War mustache too, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But he's, he knows, he can foresee the consequences of making a big deal out of this. Yeah. He, he sees that uh, Priox Morlina... If it makes a big deal and causes a kerfuffle, the Empire is just going to come in and take over. Yeah. Yeah. Right? The nail that sticks up gets hammered down or whatever. And the Exactly. And he's like, like, these guys were terrible. <laughs> we were doing bad things. We're not supposed to have brothels. They weren't mm. supposed to be into the expensive brothel because they can't afford that on their salary. So they're obviously on the take. And, you know, they shouldn't have been drinking the drink we shouldn't have had in the first place because they couldn't afford it. And we're not supposed to have it. What about right. this, like, more, like, absolute thing that we're not supposed to have been doing makes you think we need to find justice for these guys? It's fascinating. And the script and how it's written is so snappy and smart yeah. and detailed in its like just lining up like, do you not understand that we will be stomped because of all of these things I just laid out, but you want to go and find justice for these obviously terrible people. Mm -hmm. Wild. <laughs> yeah. It reminds me of Brian Cox's character in, in The Born Identity where, you know, it's like, we, we need to clean up this mess. You know, we can't, you know, the worst thing that could happen is like somebody writes about us in the newspaper and all the terrible things that we do every day behind closed doors, you know? So, it's like, we can't let the public know that uh, these cops essentially are no better than the guys that they try to shake down and 
Yeah. And worse than that, like he he's trying to keep the rest of the employees happy too, right? Like this mm-hmm. is this is something we just have to sweep under the rug. Literally, that's what they're trying to do cuz A, yeah. the large consequences are bad if the empire comes in and B, the small consequences of reputation of the corporation is bad for the employees. And I love how he's like, yes, they died in a regrettable misadventure, something yeah. semi-heroic, but they died in a fight, you know, that sort of thing. Yeah. And I loved him because he's such a pragmatist about the situation that he is and in, and he's just trying to survive and he's trying to do what's best for the organization, which Again, if it becomes a tall flower, the Empire's just like, stop being a tall flower. That's mm-hmm. now a mine. <laughs> you know, like, literally, we'll just take everything and strip mine it. Conversely, we get, is it Cyril? Cyril is his name. We never actually hear it. Do we hear it? Are you talking about the main villain? Yeah. I don't remember his name at all. I remember most well, of the names, but his I don't remember. S Y R I L. That's oh, okay. what it is in like in in uh, IMDb, okay. and I don't think we actually hear his name out loud the entire. Okay, gotcha. So we have him. He's like, no, this is wrong. You know, mm-hmm. right? We get the the you know he he's like trying to become an an imperial officer, and he doesn't even know that that's an option. Yeah. As soon as I heard the line where the inspector says, like, D- have you modified your uniform, son? And he's like, yes, sir, just a little bit or something like that. Yeah. That exchange, I was like, this guy desperately wants to be, you know, like a general price, you know, kind yeah. of, uh, you know, uh, a Hux type, you know, somebody. Yeah. Who, he's not content working for, you know, the corporation, but. He's an officer. But also, he doesn't know what the hell he's doing because he gets like super nervous. Bef- like these little moments where he gets nervous before he goes and talks to like the people he's got to go and yell at are really, really priceless. Like he's never done this before. He's never been in power because the chief inspector's always been around and he just sort of like does what the chief inspector wants him to do. And the- now it's his chance because the boss is away. Yeah, yeah, he's it's taking wild. charge, and yeah, it's a big power trip to just prove himself. Yeah, because I guess he doesn't, you know, where Cassian has this sort of internal thing that he's seeking in his past and his family and whatnot. Like this is a guy with like no regard for any of that. He's just he wants that uh, status, I guess. Power. Yeah, I think he's doing it under this guise of like I'm the best person to lead. You know, um, my good friend, Laura, on Twitter said he's got big Karen energy. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, the parallel that I unfortunately kept having in my head was like the whole Kyle Rittenhouse nonsense where like, I'm not any authority figure, but I'm a young fascist with money. So I'm going to take an assault rifle to like a protest and, and just be a vigilante, you know, just somebody who who's like, I believe myself to be like a cop, even though, (laughs) you know, he's just some corporate stooge with a nice uniform. Yeah, I heard a lot of people describe him as Javert uh, as well. Not like I didn't come up with that, but I totally see it from Les Miserables, the like, police officer who is constantly trying to track down 
the fugitive, right? Even though he, you know, he only stole a loaf of bread. Not that this wasn't a bigger crime. Sure. Uh, yes, murder is. Just a little casual murder, you know, it's but fine. Just a little bit. But also, they were, they might have shot him first, too. Like, that's the kind of bad situation that, that uh, Cassian was in. And it, it feels like an accident, I think. Yeah, um, I think it was, yeah. You know, it's to not start. quite clear, but yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The second one was less of an accident, uh, but yeah. Defo purposeful. Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah. But, you know, it, it's just really interesting that we have this kind of like, I think, like the best term for that I can come up with is like capitalist toady. Like he believes in this weird environment so much he's willing yeah. to just literally not see anything else. Yeah. Like a militant bootlicker. Like man, he yeah. loves that boot. Um, yeah. Yes. But it, it's it's not even like the boot because he's not super respectful to the chief inspector's orders. He is militant to the corporation. Sure, yeah, yeah. And and like a sycophant to the corporation. Like he's memorized the employee handbook and the, all the policies. Yeah, the first thing that does get <laughs> telegraphed in the show to the audience is Cassian says to the owner of the, the club or the, the girl working the club is – this is a company town. Like, that's the thing. Yeah. That, you know, it's like rule number one, you know. So, yeah, yeah. It's, it's interesting. You know, it's uh, th- that's a thing, you know, from history again and again. And we, we always kind of know how it goes. Uh, you know, Elon Musk has talked about uh, wanting to make like a, a Tesla city out in the desert. And it's like, man, we know how this goes, dude. We have plenty of examples and. I mean, China's done it a bunch of times, and they always end up being abandoned. Um, Disney is trying to do it. Yeah, they're trying to do like that mega fan, like gated yeah. community thing. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Yep. Yeah, it doesn't work out well. <laughs> uh, Jane Jacobs would cry a lot. <laughs> <laughs> then we transition to our. I'm going to use quote unquote love triangle. It's only a love triangle in Tim's mind. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like, I think there's some history there, you know? I yeah, think maybe like, they were sweethearts as, like, teens or something, maybe. Or, like, like Bix is always hanging around him, because I think that Cassian is involved in all of the secret underground, like, pulling of the things from the ships and, like, doing the... Yeah. Doing, doing the things, right? Whereas Tim is kind of on the up and up. And he isn't aware of this side hustle that Bix has going on, which is obviously for the rebellion, right? Yeah, right. That right. we know, right? We we know that because we know where this story is going. And she knows Luthen, right? I think. So so yeah. yeah that's that's her contact and she knows who he is too. Yeah. It's not like that. But but Tim doesn't know. Because she doesn't want to tell him that, but she keeps on doing stuff with Cassian. He is like, I, I don't mean to say that he's fully right to be jealous because he's not, right? He shouldn't be jealous. This is just not like a nice character trait, but he should have asked her if he was concerned and he never does. He never respects her enough to actually ask her. Yeah, it's kind of like, you know, he knows she's hiding something and he just kind of thinks, well, like... You oh, know. I'll just find it out and deal with it myself. Diego Luna, <laughs> mega hottie. So I'll just like, 
assume that's <laughs> what it is. And yeah, he kind of stalks <laughs> her to the restaurant. I think he asks her to go to dinner and she says like, no. And then of course she's like I'm at a bar tonight. restaurant. I thought our night was the other night. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I'm busy. I'm busy doing my side hustle. <laughs> and then of course she sort of goes to his house. Like that, that cycle of like, she's not really doing anything wrong, but she still feels guilty because she's hiding something. So then she kind of ends up going to, Tim's place after the fact. Then, you know, this is when we we start to really heavily shift back and forth between like the past Canary and what's kind of going on in the present. They really did this a lot in Book of Boba Fett, hey? Like I was thinking about how similar this feels to Book of Boba Fett. In, it's uh, a lot like, yeah, it's definitely a lot like Boba Fett where they're like drawing you know, threads between like threads. The, two, basically like two specific points on the timeline or, or yeah. th- you know, I guess maybe like three back in to Boba, like, but. you know, Clone Wars or Republic time. And then they're tying to this, you know, other time. It's right? very fluid and organic here though. And again, yeah. they're really trusting it's the audience. As, yeah. It's not as forced. I would say Book of Boba Fett ended up being kind of forced at, at different points, mm-hmm. but we get like the kids kind of prepping to go to war. Yeah. And they, they all are getting, you know, their weapons ready. And then they're all sitting down in a circle and painting themselves with paint. I can see how this would not land with people who are of an indigenous population. I, I could see that not landing well. And, I haven't actually saw. I had the time to seek out those voices, but I could see it not landing well. I did wonder um, if if these these kids were a little stereotypical, but I yeah, it wasn't something that necessarily you know stuck out like a sore thumb or anything. But yeah, I, I had that thought too of like, huh, I wonder how this is being handled. You know how people yeah respond to this, but uh, it's supposed to be from what I'm getting the impression of, it's an initiation into adulthood. Right. What they're saying is we're going to go and fight this monster. And so only the people that can go and he try like he tries to join. His sister wants to be with him. Uh, One of the kids pushes him away and then he's able to sit down, you know, in the circle and get his paints applied to go off and be part of this. It's an interesting moment because it's obviously like being led by the head leader girl. And I really was like, oh, this is really a fascinating moment. And I hope that we get more, I don't know, context, but I don't know that we will because he's left Canari by the end of the three episodes. So this is all we get, right? We don't really know what this is. It felt to me like she was kind of taking notice of him in a little bit of a way, like kind of like not like not flirty, but like. She kind of like looks at him appreciatively and he kind of smiles back almost like sort of yeah. proud, like happy with himself. Like, like oh, he's I'm- trying to impress her or something. Yeah. And it was more like a, like an older mentor or something, I think. Okay. It was interesting. Yeah. yeah. yeah she looks, I, she looks a couple years older. Maybe. Yeah. I definitely got the impression she was 15 or 16, like much okay. older. Yeah. Oh, okay. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. There, there are like a couple of characters that are like sort of emphasized in the flashback. One being her, and then one being the sister. Obviously, 
Oh, and then and there's then... a boy that like pushes him away and he's in there occasionally. Yeah. Yeah. It's hard. Is there, to, it, yeah. Is there a third girl who talks to him has like spoken lines too, or am I imagining maybe that was the boy you're talking about? I don't, I don't know. remember. Yeah. I don't remember. It's hard um, to tell when they don't actually speak a language that you understand and isn't translated. Like it's it was a choice to do that. <laughs> oh, <laughs> you know? okay. Yeah. Yeah. Not not a lot I, of I, subtitles, you think? I don't remember. There was no subtitles for the okay. Canari language. And gotcha. so it was just like you have to kind of just go off body language and intimation mm. of made up language, which is fine. It's just it's very Star Wars. That is a very Star Wars thing to do. To yeah, to kind of other them by default and, and yeah. uh, probably for the purpose of some mystery, but yeah, it's kinda yeah, that's strange that we don't know what he said to his sister or anything. That's kind of nope, strange. Nothing. Weird. Yeah, I, I I didn't quite pick up on that, but yeah, that's weird that we don't know the yeah. specifics yet. Good for a mystery yeah. though. Good for uh, mystery, I, I mean, guess. But yeah. Kind of others them a little bit. It was maybe just to create that feeling of like, you know, you know what happened, but you don't really know what this was about, maybe? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like we said, the 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 adults being gone, like there's so much history that we're going to dig up later. But uh, yeah, it's also, you know, it could imply that he's lost touch with his his heritage his people that kind of thing too you know this idea that the memory is a little fuzzy for him i, I don't yeah, know maybe um, yeah I, I don't know how much intentionality <laughs> we're kind of just giving him there but uh yeah it's interesting uh, yeah then we, then we get the scene where we get casino's money and we get vetch who's he just told me to stand real all i have to do is just stand here Oh my yeah. god, I love this character so much. Yes, I, I love. I love this, this scene. interaction. Yeah, it um, taught us a lot, right? Because Cassie knows money, mm-hmm. a deposit on something, right? So you know he's trying to he he took a deposit from somebody, and so he owes a service or a thing to this man, right? Who would pay him the rest, but he hasn't been able to do that, and this man is willing to. Hire this big guy just to stand behind him. And this big guy's just like, I just stand here. And Cassian calls him out on it. It's just really glorious, which also shows how well Cassian understands other people. It seemed like we saw some new non-human species in these yeah. episodes. I don't know, like, like specifically, but I felt like maybe perhaps the bartender in the club and perhaps this guy might be species that I haven't seen before. Uh, I don't know. I haven't looked into it too deeply because I was just kind of enjoying the show and, you know, try not to get too in the weeds with some of that stuff. But uh, I-, I thought that's nice to see, like, truly, you know, fresh designs, you know, creature effects and stuff. Uh, exactly. Yeah. And then we get Bix line to Tim, you know, to go and, and radio the buyer, which is also cool because... It's like, is the radio illegal? Is the untraceable radio illegal? Do more people use this? Because she goes to like the cable parts shop or whatever, right? And it's in the back and they uses the secret thing. And then she goes and climbs the tower and uses the communication device that can communicate with the, the buyer who ends up being Luthen. Yeah. Right. But he's uh, he's super jealous and loses her on the way. <laughs> 
happy in his jealous self. Yeah. This is when he like runs into people and stuff. Is that this part? Yeah. Like he runs into the people on the street and then loses her and she goes and does the radio thing, right? And then we get Cassie in the next scene and he's like fixing up the ship that he wasn't supposed to borrow but borrowed it. Yeah. And then he it shows kind of like how well rounded his character is in so many ways. Like he can fix droids, he can fix ships, he's very good with people, he can sneak onto things and be like incredibly, I don't know, like a spy already, right? Like he, we get mm-hmm. all the kind of like bits of his character that show where he is this special person that the buyer will be interested in. Yeah. He's, he's detail oriented. He's just kind of a a mess, but he kind of needs like a a break. He needs some like ground to stand on. Yeah, exactly. And now it's the end of the first episode, (laughs) which is wild. And we get uh, the start of the second episode. The kids are all on their way to the crashed ship. Mm, Yeah. And this is what I wanted to talk about ever so briefly. So they're all following one path, which avoids the mine. And he goes the alternative path to go and look and stare at the mine. And it literally goes from like, the kids are on the on the living side of the path. And he goes and everything is dead. Yes. On the side he goes, right? So yeah. this is all like super duper foreshadowing. Right, the path that leads him to basically this kind of like imperial mine, or he's going to go and go to the underworld. Yeah, he has to. This is this is part of this. This is also he he's going to be drawn in to the greed and all of that to try and find what he's looking for. He has to go and and stare it straight in the eye and be there and. You know, this this makes me go and question, like, where is his his sister? Right. Know? Like, where is she? Yeah. What is she doing? Right. Yeah. But it's it's amazing sort of symbolic foreshadowing that we're getting with this. Yeah. It's sort of like this idea that, oh, things are bad, but if you just sort of keep your head down and work hard and, you know, don't gaze into the abyss, everything's going to work out. But like... He's somebody who says, like, no, like, I'm not going to stand by while, you know, man-made destruction, you know, destroys yeah. destroys the, the quote-unquote world, you know? And he's, like, symbolically the mine absolutely stands in for the fact that he is one of those rare people that is awake to the destruction that is happening around him. Yeah. He sees in a very matrix sense of the world. You feel there's something wrong. You can feel it like an itch in your brain. Yeah. You know, with Neo, right? Like, he's one of the people that knows. Yeah. Yeah. In the Matrix, the the metaphor is awakening. You know, you're, yeah. you you wake up to a higher consciousness. And, of course, the droid that we both love so much, uh, B2 Emo, uh, he... Uh, he he's like trying to wake him up at near the beginning of the show, right? And yeah. He, uh, and the way that he sort of gets closer to succeeding is he starts calling him his true name, which yeah. is a very Matrix thing too. Neo versus John Anderson or whatever. Yeah. So that idea that uh, within you there are layers of consciousness and yeah, and the, and the 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 mind itself has 
deep layers that you go down into yes. to search and find yourself, right? You're, it's, you know, the layers of hell, you, ha you have to go into the underworld and you have to follow the path. And, and at each level, there's going to be a piece of you that's going to be stripped away and who you are deep, 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 deep down in your catabasis in the lowest part that you're going to be. And then you are reformed from that. And then you are yeah. allowed to be reborn and come back as a better version of yourself. And all of that symbolism straight up in front of our faces. Who got it? This podcast. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it makes me think of like, there's a lot of surrealist art and stuff. And yeah. I think maybe even like Lower Olympus, maybe paintings of like, I don't know, fan art of like Greek mythology and stuff that I've seen on Twitter, even like where yeah. you have this like winding, weird staircase that just goes down and down and down. And the mind kind of has that staircase quality yeah, to it 100%. It does. Yeah, it does. And I don't know, you've played the game Hades. A little bit. I'm bad at it, but I do love it. Did you ever make it past the first level? Uh, maybe. There's three levels to Hades. And gotcha. you go into like, the Lycian fields, and then you go to the gate. And yeah, like you start in the lowest level. And what it is, it's, it's like a winding sort of tower that you slowly move your way up. And psychologically, that is a, a representation of a change journey. Hmm. and we're getting the reverse like he's almost getting like an omen like a fair warning <laughs> your journey is to dig deep into the dark side to discover what is really truth yeah it's really fascinating stuff symbolically yeah there's a lot of sort of uh you know luke leia han stuff in his character here already you know with the just like the the sort of call to action and um, yeah, the, I mean, the it, looking it, for the sibling and the hero's journey is there. It yeah. it is already mm -hmm. like uh, yeah. the first three episodes really do represent uh, sort of with this past stuff. It looks like it's like a failed journey, right? Where he mm -hmm. he tried to go on an adventure, and I'll point out more of the things that he ended up going through through this with his Canary time. He he definitely tries to go on an adventure, but he is not, he wasn't ready. He had to go back to the beginning, basically. And that's why he's in yeah. that ship at the beginning when he gets back from that planet, because like that's where he's like comfortable and it reminds him of home. Mm -hmm. But it takes something else to force him to go on. Hey, a mentor. <gasps> yeah. Right? <laughs> yep. Any other thoughts on this, like, mine moment? I, I'm obsessed with it. <laughs> uh, I mean, it's just, you know, it's like that classical composition of, like, the heroic figure looking out over, like, the ocean or whatever. Mm -hmm. That that painting that we see again and again, you know, with... We get it in Dune with uh, Paul Atreides staring out over the ocean before he has yeah. to leave. We get yeah. it Luke staring out binary suns. Something yeah. is changing. Something will change. That's This is that, that feeling of an easiness with the community that you exist in, that mm -hmm. something must change. Yeah. You know, yeah. Link and Breath of the Wild, like, gonna yeah. leave the leave the plateau or yeah exactly. kylo deciding to become ben you know like all that stuff of uh yeah oh we've yeah. got a threshold that we're you know gonna 
Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And and sometimes you see the threshold from really, really far away, and sometimes you don't. <laughs> yeah. Right? Even if it's mm. a metaphorical threshold. So then we go back to Ferrix and we get this amazing scene with the clock tower type. Uh, it's like a manual clock tower with a guy who is yeah. sort of, you know, like in a tradition to... It feels like some sort of ritual to like he's like a blacksmith who's like this is the end of the day yeah and it's time to put our tools away it's a little blacksmithy or you know you might call him a percussionist like a musician yeah, yeah he takes it very seriously and yeah it is ritualistic whether yeah whether he thinks of yeah. himself as like a you know just somebody doing a job or a musician like it's definitely that kind of this is an but important it, thing he does. Yeah. Yeah. And it's tied to the culture of the community, right? Yeah. Like there's this this concept that he is like the thing that helps them end the day and also begin the day, right? Like it's mm-hmm. it's really cool. I want to learn more. We might never get more, and that's okay too. I just right. it it's just this really beautiful thing that they've added to the world. It made me. He made me think instantly of the guitarist in Mad Max Fury Road. You know, mm, mm-hmm, you know, we mm-hmm. don't really, we don't really need to know like all the why and the history and stuff. But it's there because you know we can feel that it's there. You know, it's like it rings true. It's just uh, the fireworks in the Shire or the all the yeah. weird shit in Dune. Dune is full of it. You know, it just. When you do something kind of quirky in in a fantasy setting, you know, it either rings true or it doesn't. And, like, this guy is just, like, so perfect. (laughs) And they spend moments with, like, the father and son who are, like, wrapping up. They see a dude, he's, like, counting his money or, like, people are going and doing their thing. Yeah. You know? Like, it's it's just, like, a really beautiful world building. Yeah. It's just great. And we get a shot of Marva... Uh, in in the home, you know, kind of speaking with B, in like, you know, don't say anything. Blah, 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 blah. And uh, oh my god, I'm obsessed with this mother that yeah. we have. She's great, Fiona Shaw. I have been obsessed with for many years. She's she's most well known from Harry Potter. Okay, I thought so. Yes, as Harry's aunt. Mm-hmm. But I knew her. As a small child from Three Men and a Little Lady. Oh, nice. <laughs> I'll have to Google this. I don't know if I'm familiar or not. She she plays the evil school marm who's trying to take the little girl away from the three dads to okay. go to a boarding school because the mom is getting married to a British guy before she discovers that she's actually in love with somebody else. Gotcha. One of the dads. Nice, nice. <laughs> Wasn't Steve Gutenberg. It was Tom Selleck. She's in love with Tom Selleck. Oh, okay. Yeah, In yeah. the end. And uh, yeah, Fiona Shaw played the school marm. And like, she doesn't look like she's aged a day. I don't know what that says about her. <laughs> <laughs> Back then, like yeah. when when the movie was released in later in 1990 for Three Men and a Little Lady. Yeah, some people just look the same age forever. It's kind of funny how that happens. But yeah, no, she's she's amazing. And- the fights that they have 
after it's discovered, like she's like, oh, play, read him the, the bulletin. You know, B has to read Cassie in the bulletin. The fight they have is so real. Like, who did you tell? Who did you tell? Oh, we told family that those guys are families. Like, I didn't. I only told trusted people too. Like, oh yeah, my God. just the kind of like sassy but respectful way that he kind of like, <laughs> yeah, that fires back with like. I don't remember exactly the dialogue, but yeah, it's just so yeah. good. Just like, yeah, oh, I told the people I can trust. Well, I only told the people I can trust. And like, but what about your women? Oh, oh Cassie yeah. gets it on. That's such a like, I don't know, just like a typical British uh, mother son kind of uh, like Pink Floyd the Wall thing, you know, like all oh, those dirty women gonna take you away from me or whatever. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. But we get the, the, you know, quickly, not enough time to fight because Bix is looking for you, Cassian, because you got to get this deal going. And of course, Tim, who doesn't trust her, follows her to the bar, sees the meetup, but yeah. then still ends up having her show up later. I wrote down, Tim, you rat bastard. <laughs> yeah. And then I said, but sex in my Star Wars? <laughs> It's like a genuinely like it's a romantically lit and like yeah you got, you got like this like long lingering kiss and yeah like just so it's sort of like uh, the we know the, what they did you, I, yeah again just the way she takes off her jacket and stuff it's very yeah. like wow okay like this is for a different audience than perhaps some other Star Wars has been uh, this can happen in my Star Wars okay. Yeah. What did Leia and Han do on that ship? No, uh, anyway. <laughs> it was a good fade to black. It was great. Yeah, it was It was well done. And of course, we've already talked about our good friend Linus Musk. And, you know, but his whole introduction and like how much of like kind of a suck up he is. Yeah. Cyril. I love all the like Irish and Scottish accents, you know. Yeah. It reminded me of... Um, there was like that great like viral anecdote about I don't remember the specifics, but I think Diego Luna had talked to somebody who had watched Rogue One with his father, and the father like broke down crying because it's like you know this guy in Star Wars has my accent, you know that kind of. Uh, so I don't know. It's just kind of cool that they're like we're gonna keep that going, where we're like here's a Scottish guy, <laughs> you know. It's not, uh, just, it's not just all high British accents. For yeah, real British yeah. and Americans, you know. Yeah, um, yeah it's kind of nice to see. Super cool. Yeah, you know, we get back to the flashback. So it it really goes back and forth and back and forth between the flashbacks and the yeah. action of the present day, and we get. The Canary kids. We get the Canary kids who are, you know, in a way, they kind of feel like they're on their way to go fight a dragon. Like it, it gives me that vibe, but it ends up not being a dragon. It ends up being humans with guns. And I'm confused at, as whether, whether they were separatists or Republic people. Yeah. At one, one point, Marva says, they killed your friends, their friends killed, his friends killed a Republic person, a Republic officer. It's a little messy, but the guy who kills the child has a CIS uh, separatist insignia on his outfit. Oh. And I, I believe I could be wrong, but I, you know, I'm pretty positive. And then, and then she's like, there's a Republic frigate en route 
and that's like right. that's like the threat. So I th- yeah. I think that they are aware. I think the writers were aware that Cassian like his backstory is supposed to be that he was like a separatist at one point. And so I think they're kind of like laying the groundwork to justify like why he would have separatist sympathies at one point. And then again, right. I, I don't know if that's like, you know, what age that was supposed to be if he's like late thirties now. And that was like, you know, when he was 20 or I'm not sure, but uh, this is what 14 years out from, Revenge of the Sith, basically, right? Something yeah. like that. So I imagine there will be a lot more flashbacks as we go along. Yeah. But yeah, I definitely was tripped up by, I was like, is this like a an early Imperial? Like, how old is this guy? <laughs> you know? Um, yeah. But yeah, yeah. I, I was like, I think that is the Separatist insignia from like episode three. And I looked it up and uh, it looks pretty much the same to me. So. Yeah, I think also they that somebody mentions that there was like an imperial accident there too at some point, like on Canari, and I'm like, that's okay. I don't need all the answers now. I really yeah. don't. I it's just more like I was a little confused, but I also know they'll clarify because they seem to be very very smart. So yeah, it's fine. Yeah, uh, no, but, uh, yeah. Sorry, I wouldn't be surprised too if like that that whole incident was supposed to be like okay like roughly the same time as like the battle of Coruscant and episode three and all that, you know, thematically, yeah. if that was, that wouldn't surprise me, I guess. Yeah. And uh, then we get uh, Luthen's entrance, which he obviously seems like a cool dude slash badass, which what's, what's really interesting is like, he looks like he's carrying a walking stick, right? But it looks like an old school lightsaber that they used to do before, like, in a new hope it looks like that yeah it definitely there was a moment where he was walking with it and i was like yeah that looks like the saber that like obi-wan held when they were filming or whatever yeah exactly like the behind the scenes yeah like upside down yeah yeah isn't that an interesting choice yeah probably deliberate maybe it it feels deliberate. Somebody like, just was like, oh, it'd be kind of funny if it was like this, and, and they just like, ran We're with trying it. to indicate that this is the mentor coming. Yeah, it really looks like a New Hope Obi-Wan's saber, the Alec yeah. Guinness. Yeah. Wow. But like with the like stick part that they used to actually do the fight scenes. Yeah, yeah. Like a yeah. solid, uh, the solid blade. The, the solid <laughs> metal that they would use, right? Yeah. Yeah. And even his hair is kind of... I mean, Stalin Skarsgård is just awesome. So we're... Yeah, it feels like like an illustration of like Allegheny's Obi-Wan's hairstyle and like... Yeah. But, but yeah, no, it's... Uh, he's wearing a robe and... It's yeah. funny that this is the first time Skarsgård has been in Star Wars, honestly. It feels like he's uh, he should have been here at some point by now, so... But it it also feels like he adds a lot of gravitas, sort of like having yes. Werner Herzog. It it just he adds a lot of like I mean that scene where he's I mean, I'm jumping ahead a little bit, but that's okay. We're with Willie and him on the like transport and they have this like very like my question is like like Tony Gilroy is very aware of the types of fans. <laughs> Like, I think he has an article where he's like, or an interview where he's like, oh, I'm very aware that people think that these are the types of fans that Star Wars has. But uh, I want you to know, we 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 would like other fans. <laughs> it's hmm. kind of interesting. Because nice. like, this is not 
the traditional fair that people would talk about Star Wars as being. Yeah, it it feels like a, a broadening of the the scope a little bit. Yeah, like yeah, like just this random conversation that is in so many ways establishing the city for us from an outside perspective and also Luthen as a character. The like with the guy who's in propellants, that's what he says. I'm in propellants. He's like a going there to buy propellants. Oh, gotcha. Okay. And his end line is if you can't find it here, you can't find it anywhere. Are we talking about the guy in the green outfit whose name's like yeah. Salmon? Okay, yeah, yeah. No, 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 no. Willie. No. His name Willie. is Willie. Oh, his okay. name is Willie and he's got a hat and he's got like his little suitcases next to him on the transport and he has this full conversation with Luthen. Oh, sure, sure, sure. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, it's a, a lot of stuff happens, so I'm a little blurry no, on I know. this one. I know, but, uh, but it's just like, why Why have that, like, they just took the time to have this, like, three-minute oh, right, conversation. Oh, right, You're talking about the little, like, uh, kindly gentleman who's like, yeah. oh, they, they, they get you coming and going. Yeah, yeah. They get you, sorry, sorry. you have to pay, and then you have to take the transport, and we used to be able to go up. I mean, it's establishing the getaway. Later. Yeah, yeah, it's... Yeah, really good. Just kind of establishing the world and kind of yeah, yeah. how people regard the, like just their situation from like a like it's it's like oh the world has changed. I'm a sales guy or I'm a buyer, but like it's got a little bit of like I'm I'm just I'm maybe we'll come back to it. In my like, notes, I, I put I jumped like. Ahead. No, it's okay. I, it took me a while to figure out exactly what scene Sorry. you're talking about, but no, yeah. But in my it's notes, just establishing Lutheran, like it, mm-hmm. you know, his temperament, how he kind of guards himself, because you know this is a guy who has a lot of mundane working class rage. I think is the term yeah. that I put in my notes. This is a guy who's very angry, but he's kind of accepting of like, man, this is a bunch of you know BS and. Luthen, on the other, by contrast, is a guy who's like presumably out there fighting the good fight. A true believer is, you know, laying down yeah. his life to to stop the empire. But he's kind of like, you know, he's not going to talk about it in the same way. That's a fun contrast. This interaction reminded me a little bit of Mole Man in the, oh, the right, Mole right. Man in in Kenobi. Like, yeah, you know, we ha- we are going to interact with a real human or a real. Yeah. thing that is just a dude this show's doing a really good job of that for sure sorry i jumped ahead because i wanted to ask about if this was more establishment for luthan's character before we really get to know him with the cassian conversation because they don't really have a lot of time to establish him before the cassian interaction right, right? yeah yeah so far he's yeah. he's sort of a mystery man but we we sort of know what his deal is but it's just yeah. Yeah, we don't know anything about him. You know, he's just sort of a a contrast to everyone else. Um Yeah. Which is fun. Okay, back to Bix and Tim. <laughs> sure. Who in the morning he's like looking at her. Yeah. He couldn't sleep. Yeah, couldn't probably, sleep and probably feeling guilty. Yeah. Things he's done. And she asks for calf, which is the most absolute I love when they when calf is pulled out in universe and they yeah. they brought it they brought it into the live action. Has it ever been in live action before? I I don't know that they've said the word calf in live action before now. It was it stuck out to me and 
I, yeah, I just liked how like the oh. morning after calf. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the the post coital ca- coffee. Uh, <laughs> no, uh, but just kind of the way the way he's like, oh, he's just about to put it on, and he's like in his socks. Like this is so uh, just like nuts and bolts. This is very reminiscent of like Han with like the toddler Ben and last shot, where he's just kind of chilling, yeah. chilling, doing like mundane like living room stuff. Where they're not talking yeah. about Luke Skywalker or Darth Vader. They're just kind of people living their lives. And they're like both wrestling with this weird guilt uh, over yeah. over different – like she's hiding her probable like rebel ties. And he's like – oh, I was kind of like stalking my girlfriend because I don't trust her. And Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. It's weird. He's like a – he's a likable character and yet he does all these like wrong things. I guess kind of yeah. like Cassian, uh, kind of. Obviously, yeah. very different. One's like a – a snitch and the other is the guy who stole the Death Star plans. So I'm not I'm not equating them, but Yep. I don't know, stuff. it's it it's it, it's a great scene. It's mm-hmm. more of this in Star Wars small moments with characters that make them feel whole. Huge. Yeah. Huge. I, and people Both. people took notice of the socks. They're like, oh there are socks in Star Wars. Um which is, is I mean, funny. There's, there's no bras though. No bras. That's that's George Lucas Cannon. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then we get B and Cassian and this really adorable scene where Cassian is super worried. Yeah, make sure that she keeps the heat on, she gets cold and all this stuff. Yeah. Mhm. So good. And how B is like, you know, give me the credits that you have put aside for her. Like she needs money. <laughs> it's just like again, like these are like real problems. It feels very real, every aspect of it. Yeah, you talked about mention of a deposit that we, and so yeah. we don't we don't know what that is, right? No. Yeah, I wonder. And it, it's a it's a deposit that guy had given Cassian for something hmm. because he wanted his deposit back. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, and then we immediately cut to Marva, who's looking for B. She's like, he's like, hurry back to her; she'll be looking. And then she wanders into Cassian's room, which is it's a beautiful, like written cut to the past where we see how she enters into Cassian's life shortly thereafter. Sure. Right? Yeah. Uh-huh. We get this nice setup with her looking at this like, you know, thing he's had since he he was taken away from his home. Yeah. She was a scavenger, right? That was kind of the yeah. implication, which is kind of a fun callback scavenger fun stuff right yeah yeah and she's sort of like reminiscing about finding mm-hmm. him and all of that that's that that's the impression that we get although we don't get that really answered until later mm-hmm. except for that we see the the leader dies oh yeah and in that moment right yeah he, the guy just sort of wakes up and starts shooting uh, yeah jeez yeah there's a lot of craziness bunch of kids i better um, start shooting <laughs> yeah exactly yeah uh-huh. uh cassian goes and books his way off the planet also plans to leave money for his mom i assume from the sale of the box that he has the imperial thingy yeah. star path <laughs> unit <laughs> yeah kind of a fun name it's like a MacGuffin in a way i don't know that we'll find out what it is he says something to luthan about like it can trace imperial coordinates so 
That's like maybe, you know, like when they're not in hyperspace, it can like detect ship signatures or something right. maybe. But yeah, it, it's still just kind of vague. Yeah. And that kind of like we see the, you know, company police come after him. We start sort of yeah. see that all set up or they're getting ready to go. And we see the kind of this setup for the third episode. Right. So. Originally, these two episodes were supposed to be released the first week. I totally agree with having three. The The third one, it, it completes the arc really well. Yeah. Uh, so we move on to the third episode because we were already talking about Luthen entering the city. Although they do have a really cute interaction at the end where he's heading off on his way to the city. And he's like, are you going to stay at the hotel? He's like, not tonight. He's like, yeah, that's how they get you. Or, you know, smartest decision or whatever. It's just like a really cute thing between Willie and Luthen. <laughs> oh, on the uh, the transport. When, right at the end, yeah, when they arrive. Okay, so uh, we start out and Casa enters the ship. So symbolically, because this we're talking about his like past adventure. Yeah. He is entering into a threshold. He's he's going into the belly of the whale. Yeah. And visually it's very similar to uh yeah. like baby Jin or so like hiding and waiting for Saw Guerrera. I feel like that yeah. shot in Rogue One. Uh, very similar, but yeah, it's and sort of this dark it's tunnel. Un- underworld esque because when he arrives he sees nothing but dead bodies. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And he just starts to destroy the reflective surfaces because he sees his face. Yeah, it's sort of um it's like that sort of glossy imperial texture you would see on like the Death Star, but all the screens are going haywire. You know, it's kind yeah. of there's this theme so far of like with the the mining the giant mining drill or whatever you want to call that thing, the big mining mm-hmm machine outside that's like laying there sort of dead um this idea of like you know machinery and industry is not progress like it actually breaks down you know it's like yeah you know uh which again if we're talking about like the death star and machinery you know this is all leading toward <laughs> the guy yeah. who blows that shit up so um basically um or or yep. paves the road for that to happen um what what I find uh, super fascinating about the reflective surface for him, though, is that's where you know the the show Black Mirror. Oh right, that's the uh, the director right worked no, on that. I think I maybe I think Haynes. That, sorry, yeah. But Black Mirror, what a Black Mirror is is uh, when you see a screen and you see yourself in the reflection of a turned off screen. Oh okay, that's a Black Mirror. Gotcha. Because it's not quite clear. It's not a clear mirror. It's this weird technology-driven faux reflection. Sure. Of, yeah. Yeah. And he sees himself in this, like, black mirror. Very cool. Yeah, it's sort it's, of like this phantom version of yourself. Yeah, because it's the underworld, spiritually and symbolically. So he's totally cool. dead, symbolically. <laughs> yeah because he's he's like left his sister and like the implication is like don't worry i'll be back and then he doesn't you know he gets yeah. whisked away to whatever wonderland other, other <laughs> places and yeah. he, he voluntarily chooses like the rest of the people take the leader and go back to where they came from 
right, and he's right. like, "Nah, I'm I'm a past this threshold." Yeah, yeah, he's got some kind of something compels him, and then uh... there's a cut where he's smashing the mirror, and things are falling down, and it cuts to Ferrix, and this giant piece of scrap is being sliced off a giant ship, and. And like cords are being pulled out of the inside of a ship. Oh, his buddy who like covers for him, like yeah, that he devises yeah. the alibi with. Yeah, 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 yeah. So it's Brasso, right? But this is this is the cut. So they're 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 saying, and this is this is important. This is like underworld's regeneration. Ferrix is like where ships go to die. Hmm. Like the crashed ship that was on the planet uh, that he's from might have ended up in Ferrix to be sliced up and salvaged and resold because death always leads to rebirth. Oh, yeah. I see what you're saying. Yeah. So he is in a dead state when he is in Ferrix. And when he chooses to leave... With Luthen, or whenever that happens in a future episode, he will be on a path to being reborn and finding his true self. Yeah, and there's they're doing this thing where he's he has to borrow his buddy's like employer's ship, right? Every yeah. time he wants to go off world, and so yeah, it's so like, he's not really going. Yeah, he needs like his own ship would be like symbolic of like true freedom, which. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know what that's going to... He ends up with that U-wing eventually, right? So, Yeah, he does. <laughs> <laughs> then we get sort of the security forces arriving. They arrive in a bigger ship, and then they all get on to dropships that look like advanced versions of the Clone Wars dropships. Yeah, they do. They have that same exact shape. You're right. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting, and they're they seem smaller, but maybe there aren't. They aren't. They're like around the same size. They fit like five to six people in one. Yeah, you've got like they're sort of hanging off the ship, like in little uh, different angles, right? Like, yeah, yeah. It's like they took that design of the Clone Wars gunship and made it like flatter and grayer to be like more imperial or something. Yeah, or just like you know a corporation bought this design and like made it more corporate yeah yeah <laughs> something like that oh interesting interesting uh designs happening we get marva's entrance with b and her friend and they're like scavenging and they they sort of like are around the ship in the past uh and that's paired with marva being captured you know as the corporate forces arrive mm-hmm. On the planet. And a lot is happening all at once. Like, Luthen arrives and has the conversation with Bex. And it's like, Luthen kind of points out that he's kind of more interested in Cassian in that conversation. And I really liked that. Oh, yeah. I mean, I definitely got that from, like, the later part, too. But, uh, yeah, I'd have to go back and watch that that conversation with Bex. But, uh I like yeah. I like the the line too, and this might even be in the second episode. But there's that line about the best way to keep a sword sharp is to like use it, like like basically this very real world statement about just like cops using authority, you know, like right. like they're they're gonna seek out violence more than some 
you know, quote unquote, like criminal is going to do, you know, like this idea that uh, people with power and authority are going to abuse it. And that's just, and they, they can't get enough of it. And uh, so in episode three, we're just sort of seeing that gun go off and it just kind of these guys, uh, they, they like love the idea of like going off to war and, and, you know, it's sort of like how rich people do ride alongs with cops. Um, yeah, that makes sense. Right. Like, yeah, these guys are all just like plain power. Yeah. And like, as soon as they're actually in danger of any kind, like they're total cowards and just like, oh, we're under siege. They're all around us. Like, what? You know, and, you know, uh, they say like, oh, there's a crowd gathering, like better leave two guards, not just one. You know, like they're they're terrified of like everyday working class people just kind of like watching them, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And uh, we get this, like, really amazing moment where, like, Cassian's love of Marva and concern actually indicates where he is because B has the communicator. Yeah. And it's like, you know, like, make sure she turns on the on the heat and B, can you hear me? Like, it's just, oh, Cassian. So good. So good. Um. And, uh, you know, we end up getting the, like, interaction with Luthien and Cassian, and Cassian set up this place specifically so he can, you know, have the advantage, and he's hiding away, and Luthien's, like, just calls him out, like, I know everything. (laughs) Yeah, 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 I know everything about you, and he talks about, like, his father being executed, and I was like, I I didn't know if... Maybe that was like Marva's partner or, you know, or if it was like his dad on more likely it was his dad on Canary and we're going to get like a whole bunch more of his childhood story at some point. Yeah, uh, I think they'll go back further maybe before that time that we saw. Yeah, that would make sense. Like they'll go back further in the past. Yeah, Yeah, that would make sense. Like, yeah, to get a little of like his relationship with his sister and then dig into that stuff with his dad and what that was all about. Maybe justify yeah. why he might be against like the Republic rather than the separatists or I, yeah. I I did love that it was like an abandoned factory again to drive home that thing of like, you know, industry not actually always paying off and inevitably like, like rusted engines or yeah. something hanging from the roof. Yeah. It's just that symbol yeah. of like the the destroyed abandoned mine again, just kind of reinforced. And also, doesn't Tarkin when Jeddah City is destroyed? Doesn't Tarkin say like we'll just say that it was a mining incident or something like? Yeah. Um. So that's kind of like a an interesting callback. But yeah, uh, sorry, I'm all over the place there. But you I, know, I really love kind of like the chess game that they play, and Luthen's like, "I'm way smarter than you." Beep 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 beep, and then he's like. <laughs> See, you're carrying a calm. Yeah. Don't never carry anything you don't control. And he starts to give him these rules. And this is this is how we know he is the mentor to Cassian. He's literally starting to already teach him, even though they're like interacting kind of in this semi like way. But it's quickly like he quickly turns it on Cassian and really shows. I wasn't looking for the weird imperial box. <laughs> Special people are hard to find. Tell me how you did this. Yeah. And Cassian's answer is just really so wonderful. And it ties yeah. back to that to that mind symbolism. 
He can see it for what it is, right? Yeah, he says you just walk in like you belong. Yeah. And they're so blind, they're so fat, they can't they can't even imagine somebody like me would do that. Yeah. It's so wonderful. Like it's smart writing. Ha. Yeah. Good. Yeah, he says Good stuff. a comment about like spitting in their food and you like don't know if it's yeah, literal spitting or in their figurative, food. but it's great either yeah. way. Um, it's great stuff, but it, you know, like that relationship is already building. Like he, Luthen is seeking him out in a, in a Luke Skywalker-ish way, right? Like mm-hmm. he, like that's the best uh, example of um of a uh, a hero who is needing an, a mentor is that, you know, Obi-Wan also knew everything about Luke Skywalker. Yeah. Right? Like these guys, these old wizards are the mentor always way knows way more about the world and your place in it. And yeah. they walk in and they're like, I'll be your guide for this first bit. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Uh-huh. They're always like that. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of funny that the rule is like, don't trust your smartphone, basically. Like, yeah. (laughs) So good. It's so good. And we, and, you know, through the, you know, oh no, they're surrounding us. And then they start fighting and doing the the fight in the, in the uh, hangar or warehouse or whatever, right? Cassian keeps on trying to go back for the box. And Mm -hmm. Luthen's like, the box isn't important. You were important, right? Like, it's. Yeah. You know, like it's like the but the boon, the the sacred boon to show I I have actually earned my way off of this planet. But the secret thing that Luthen's trying to show him is that he always had the skills to get off the planet, to get out, to go on his adventure. Yeah, there's this like interesting thing where how do I know it's like genuine and valuable and his answer is it's pristine and then of course like <laughs> debris like falls on it and uh yeah which echoes what you're saying like this basically this idea that you don't want to be pristine you want to go on an adventure and take the yeah. take the toy out of the box or whatever <laughs> whatever yeah, metaphor take take, <laughs> take the toy out of the box yes <laughs> so, you know in a in a big star warsian way it's not the toy that matters it's what's inside that counts. <laughs> yeah. Right? This has always been my big fight with the marketing and the like toyness of Star Wars is I always wanted to see a Jedi master who refused to use a lightsaber and would only use a stick. Yeah, interesting. Yeah. Who who could fight a lightsaber with a stick, right? Like the idea that you are so with the Force, you don't need a lightsaber. I love Attack of the Clones more than a lot of people, but I always felt like Yoda having a lightsaber was a little bit kind of undid that thing that you just said. Yeah, whatever that thing is. Yeah. Because I I totally agree. I totally agree that Yoda never needed a lightsaber. And uh, so as the guy who, when I was 12 years old, Attack of the Clones was just the best thing that ever happened, you know? Uh, I was like, oh, I, w- I just don't really like the part where Yoda uses a lightsaber. That was my complaint about that movie, not anything else. So, that's kind of funny uh, Yoda had that. lots of flaws. Come and fight me. Uh, I guess, yeah, I guess he, he probably made a bad call or two along the way. Yeah, he kind of did. <laughs> and then they, they run off, and at this time, we're getting the Tim and Bix 
Bix is getting captured and he tries to save her and he's like, oh no, the fruit of my, all of my terrible decisions. (laughs) (laughs) Reaping and sowing. Oh no. Yeah. Yeah. I called the cops and the cops are here doing things that cops do. Oh shit. You know. Um, Oh no. Yeah. Again, like anti cop messaging all over the space. Yes. <laughs> yes. Uh, Wild. But, you know, Bix is, uh, of course, it's a great scene because she's super broken up about Tim and, you know, of course, realized he had done the bad thing as she was trying to save Cassian. And then we get uh, Luthen and Cassian trying to choose out a speeder, which felt weirdly reminiscent to Vanekin and Obi Wan's speeder conversations in oh, Attack of the Clones. Sure, yeah, you know. But then they they end up doing the like very smart diversion because Luthen always comes with bombs. Apparently, I love it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's like that always have an escape plan thing, which is uh, yeah. He doesn't say that, but that is a line that Q says in like the world's not enough, which is you know. Brings yeah. us back to that whole James Bond, Jason Bourne well, thing. Well, he does. He said, doing. always always secure your exit yeah. is one of the rules. Yeah. Yeah. If they um, do more Q that, callbacks, I'll be very happy. There's there's Bond in this, hey? There's there is Bond. a little I'm bit. I, yeah, there's a little bit. Yeah, I'm happy about that. It, But that kind of wraps up the episode because they're heading off towards the wastelands on the, you know, classic swoop bike. But Wow. What a way to set up a show. I, I'm very impressed. It, it definitely, you know, I really enjoyed Obi-Wan. I quite enjoyed Boba Fett. But this, like, the show is something that you can just recommend to people. And it's not like, well, you like Star Wars, so you like this. It's kind of just like, no, this is a fun show. And, like, you will like this probably, like, you know, which is clever. Yeah, exactly. It gives an intro to the world that doesn't require any foreknowledge yeah it's very smart and i am looking forward to covering the rest of the show with you alex yeah definitely yeah any other thoughts i don't think so i you know i love these characters i love the the story they're telling so far and they're um they're tackling some really tricky subjects and and saying tricky things that uh you know so far have been handled really well and um i don't know i'm just having a good time with it Yep, exactly. Well, thank you everyone for tuning in and listening to our very, very fun discussion about Andor episodes one, two, and three. Come back next week. We will be talking about the fourth episode and we look forward to you tuning in then. Alex, where can people find you if they're looking for you? Uh, mostly on like Twitter at uh, Alex J Kane K A N E, and uh, I'm on like you know Letterboxed things like that. So and, uh, <laughs> USAToday.com occasionally. Awesome. All right, everybody, look forward to you tuning in next week. Cheers. Thank you for listening to What the Force. I'm Marie-Claire Gould, your host. Our music is provided by Christy Carew for What the Force. We have a Patreon at patreon.com slash whattheforce. We would like to thank all our patrons, especially those who love and are obsessed with What the Force. Cheryl, Melody, Night Huntress, In Wild Space, How Rude, Anna Perez, Neil, Joe Allen D, Christian Luca, Josh Johnson, Scott C, and Susan. Make sure to like and subscribe on YouTube or leave a five-star review on iTunes 
iTunes or other pod apps. It helps people find the show. Check out our other channel on YouTube, What the Fiction. You can connect with us on Twitter at WT4Show, What the Force Podcast on Facebook, and our website, whattheforce.ca. We also have a Discord. Links are in the liner notes. Feel free to reach out and start a conversation. Cheers. Cheers.